Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. I, uh, I'm away here this morning. I broke my glasses, and I thought, what am I going to do? I can't see a thing without them. And uh, I found these in the office. They likely belong to someone here in the congregation. So thank you for leaving them behind so that I can use them today. I'd like us this morning, the scripture tells us, be still and know that I am God. We live in a very noisy world, a busy world. And it's very, very difficult sometimes to just find that space where you can be quiet. But the scripture tells us to be still and to know that he is God. And I'd like for us this morning, just for a few moments, just to be quiet before the Lord. And I'm going to ask you two questions. Why did you come to church today? And what do you expect from God today as we come to worship together? So let's just be quiet before him right now. What is one of the things that most people have in common in the new year? I think it's uh, resolutions or resolve. And the top 10, 10 or the top resolutions for Canadians in 223, number one, exercise more. Anybody got that on their list? Um, lose weight. <laughs> okay. Uh, get organized. Uh, learn a new skill or a hobby. Uh, live life to its fullest, save more money, spend less money, quit smoking, spend more time with family and friends. Most of us make resolutions, don't we? One young boy asked his father what his New Year's resolution was, and his father said, I'm going to do everything possible in the new year to make your mother very happy. Now, that boy is delusional, don't you think? <laughs> and the boy asked his mother, well, what her New Year's resolution was, and she said, to do everything possible will make sure that your father makes me happy. <laughs> Why do we make these things anyway? We make them because there are areas in our lives that we are either, either unhappy with or areas in our lives that we want to be better a wife came into the bathroom and she saw her husband on the scales and he had his stomach stuck in, sucked in. And she said, that's not going to make any difference on the scale if you suck your stomach in. He said, yes, it does. So what do you mean? He said, if I stuck my, suck my stomach in, I can see the numbers on the scale. <laughs> you know, as you and I stand on the threshold of another year, let us endeavor to begin it with God. Let us not treat God as a mere accessory or uh, optional, but as the God, the creator, who is a part of any worthy endeavor to bless and to help. So to begin with, as the scripture that was read for us this morning says that we are to examine ourselves. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? And unless you, of course, fail the test. 
The Corinthians have professed a belief in Christ, but it does not match their profession. If the life of the congregation is not in conformity with the truths of the gospel, it negates any claim to stand firm in the faith. Corinthians 16, 13, the challenge sounds foreboding. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Yet, true profession should be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But from all appearances, the Corinthians on Paul's return will be found wanting in virtually every count. When Carol and I were first married, I worked in a hardware store. Uh, we sold everything from gun. When I think of it now, we sold guns and bullets, nuts and bolts, wallpaper, paint, you name it, we sold it. And twice a year, we had to take stock of our inventory. It wasn't something that I really enjoyed doing, counting all those quarter-inch bolts. Back then in the olden days, uh, when I was younger, uh, they didn't have them all packaged. They were in a big box. And so you'd either have to weigh or you had to count those quarter-inch bolts and those cans of paint and on and on, hours and hours of tedious work, but absolutely essential in order for the business to function. And I believe that it is essential for us as Christians to take stock of our spiritual walk. It's not always easy to be completely honest with oneself and admit that we might have a shortage or what is necessary for a victorious and fruitful life in Christ. The message puts it this way. Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. You need first-hand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. And just as important in business, I believe that we must take stock in our Christian walk. And there are four important things uh, that a thorough inventory uh, taking will reveal. It'll tell you how much stock is on hand, how much has been sold or distributed, how much has been stolen or shoplifted, and how much needs to be ordered to replenish it. You know, it's, it's not always easy to be honest with oneself and admit that we have deficiencies. But this is what Paul is saying at the beginning of this verse. Examine yourself. It would have been so much easier if he said, would you examine each other? Because I have that gift. <laughs> and I can exercise it better than anybody. And I know that many of you people are anointed with that gift as well. We can find out what's wrong with other people. But it's very difficult sometimes to examine yourself. There are events in our lives that cause us to take a good look at ourselves. The death of a close friend or loved one, especially if the death comes in as an accident or at a young age. 
And these events tend to make us stop these whirlwind activities we call life and look deep inside our souls. Examine yourself. That's precisely what the Bible teaches to us today. Every time we recall Jesus' death and take communion, tell us to examine ourselves, examine our relationship with other people before we take the Lord's Supper. But how do you do that? Well, allow me four areas that should be included as part of our self-examination. What stock is on hand? Or, this reveals our relationship with God. What does our relationship with God consist of? It consists of a true and total surrender of our will to the sovereign will of God, exchanging our agenda for his agenda. That's not always easy. And I always feel like, you know, every day I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person of habit, uh, maybe even a bit eccentric at times. Well, not really. Well, maybe. Maybe a whole lot eccentric. I don't like anybody drinking out of my mug. Um, I had a guest one time at our house, and I almost had a heart attack. She was using my china mug for her tea. I'm the only one that drinks out of that mug. So if you ever come to my place, please ask if it's my mug before you use it, okay? <laughs> but it's hard sometimes to really stop and allow God to be a part of our agenda. I feel like we all should plan every day, but I believe that our ministry, that God has ordained for each one of us, because it tells us that uh, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has planned in advance for us to do. That makes me feel pretty special, that when you wake up in the morning, you know that God has already got the good works planned ahead for you. And sometimes those good works come in the form of what I call divine interruption, something you haven't planned at all but to be willing to adjust and allow your agenda to be God's agenda. My father-in-law always prefaced his plans with, the Lord willing, son, we will. They were not idle words, but his being. Many people who have accepted the gospel have done so because of the benefits that are received as a result of knowing Christ. Because Christ gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us healing and meaning. He's the glue to help us in our relationships and the promise of heaven. A lot of benefits in turning your life over to Jesus Christ. So they base their relationship on God on these benefits. But the problem is a lot of times they never cross over into that relationship of total commitment. Everything I am and hope to be is God's will for my life. Just how committed is God to you? Well, we could all answer that. That Jesus died for you to be saved. I remember when I was a little guy... Most of the homes, and perhaps some of you can remember this, most of the homes had these little uh, scripture plaques that were cardboard, and they had kind of a shiny tinfoil on them, and they were kind of velvet. Do you remember those? And they would have uh, 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or if we confess our sins, and they'd be plastered, we'd have a couple in the kitchen and maybe a couple in the living room. And it seemed like every home you went to, they had those. Do you remember, anybody remember those at all? Yeah, we've got some hands back there, sure. You're dating yourself. Well, God is committed to us. And he tells us in his word, if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. He died not only for you to receive the benefits of his death, but he died to have complete rule over your life. For it says in Romans, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. We have to examine ourselves and ask, what is my relationship really with God? Are you making your own decisions without regard of whether it's God's will or not? I think sometimes we can be very impulsive and we can be very impetuous and we do things in the moment and sometimes we make major decisions without really consulting God or sometimes our decisions are ego-driven, been there, done that too many times and look back and say, why? And then I realized I wasn't trying to be on God's track. I was trying to put him on mine. Let your relationship with God be one where he rules. And an inventory shows how much has been sold or distributed. It reveals your relationship with others. Before I came to God, I lived for myself. I felt called to ministry when I was a very young child, five years old. But, you know, when you become a teenager, um, you, want to, you have your own other dreams. And I thought, well, I'd like to be an actor. I'd be unemployed for sure. <laughs> or I'll be a teacher. Or a singer. I used to fantasize that I was the other Elvis. Um, and, you know... Uh, I remember one day one of the teachers in my high school said to me, you're going to end up being a preacher. And I said, stop it. Don't even say that. And he said it again. We were driving along. I said, you say it one more time. I'm getting out of this car. He said it, but I didn't get out of the car. But I was, I was one. He didn't listen. And my principal came one day and he said, I'd like you to start a Youth for Christ club in the high school. Oh, no, no, get away from me. And I look back and I, I kind of regret those things because I wasn't in the place where I was willing to really surrender everything that I am and hope to be to Christ at that point in my life. But we have to come to that place if we really want to experience the joy and the purpose for the moment. Live in the moment. Take advantage of the day. You know, there was a, a young uh, private and his commanding officer were in a a train and they were in, in one of those compartments in Europe, you know, where the, there was a mother or grandmother and a, a lovely young daughter on the train with them. And you know, if you've ever gone through the Black Forest in Germany, you go through these long tunnels and it gets really dark. And all of a sudden there was a kiss and then a resounding slap. And the grandmother is sitting there and thought, now that young fella kissed my granddaughter and good for her, she gave him a good slap. The commanding officer said, 
That turkey, he kissed that girl and they thought it was me and I got the slap. (laughs) And the granddaughter says, why did he kiss my grandmother and not me? (laughs) And the young guy said, I kissed my hand, I slapped my commanding officer and no one knows the difference. (laughs) He lived in the moment. We need to learn to live in the moment. Not going around slapping people, but you know, some people find every moment, they can find all the negativity in the world, but what's happening to them? The bottle is always half empty, never full. And you know, people like that, they neglect to recognize the blessing and the peace that God gives them every day when we surrender to him and walk in his will. It is not only an adventure, but it's an adventure to wake up in the morning and realize God has a purpose for today. He's got the good works already. And you know, it's a great reward when we stop and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad in it. Because God is already in control, and I just have to surrender my will to him and his plans for me. It reveals, he says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. It's hard to do in our society today, to value others above yourself. Unfortunately, we live in a society where we're taught to demand our rights. The charter of rights is narcissistically driven. And it usurps the charter of responsibility, which is God's Ten Commandments. And that's all about how we should treat and do and serve and love others. It's not about what others should be doing for me and my rights. We've got it backwards, people. And it causes a lot of pain and discouragement. But, and you know, people are always, the big byword it seems today is, it's my truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But people want to live by my truth. What I want, when I want it, and how I want it. Some Christians have also demanded their rights to make decisions without worrying about whether others are affected or not. We saw this played out this week on a four-hour documentary on uh, a couple of pastors uh, that have done irreparable damage and discouragement to a lot of people who were their parishioners. I can do whatever I want. I have no obligation to other believers. The truth is no. We don't have the right, and yes, we do have that obligation. In fact, if our actions confuse young Christians and cause them to stumble, we're accountable to God. I have a responsibility to you, and you have a responsibility to me. It says in Matthew 18 and 6, and I used to quote this just for fun about Brian, Pastor Brian because I said, he caused me to sin and better a millstone around his neck and thrown into the wood than to cause me to stumble because I coveted his wonderful ability to be able to memorize scripture and give you the address of every verse. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones 
those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. We have a responsibility to others. God is committed to building a loving family and so much so that he, he does not want us to approach him if we are in conflict with a fellow believer. Look what the scripture says. says Therefore, if you are offering your gifts at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And then a good inventory shows how much has been shoplifted. Or for us, it reveals your relationship, our relationship, how much Satan has taken away from us. And it's our relationship to the church. What is this thing we call the church? The church is the family of God. This building houses the church. You're the church. And we have a responsibility to one another. We are a catalyst of blessing. We're a source of encouragement. We're the hands of God and the voice of God at times that speaks into the hearts of people. You're that word of encouragement and help and blessing. The church is accountable to one another. And the church reaches out to the unsaved. I have a neighbor in my condo building, and he comes up and says, you want me to, go get me to go to church, don't you? And I said, no, I want you to be the church. He said, what does that mean? I explained to him that the church is the body of Christ here on earth. We're his vessel to give love, justice, show mercy, and compassion, gentleness. So why is it so important to be committed to the church? Because God is committed to it. So much that his son gave his life for the church. Because in being committed to it, we have the, that power that hell itself cannot overcome. There's a picture going to come on here. And Jesus said, to Peter at Caesarea Philippi, and I've been there a number of times, and you see that cave, and just inside of it over to the right part, there are sconces that are cut out like this, and that's where they would put the idols, because they worship the pan god, and uh, this cave they called the gate to hell. And can you imagine Jesus when saying, you know, uh, to, when he said to Peter, and the gates of hell... And I could just imagine him pointing back to that cave will not prevail against this truth that you've revealed today, who I am. You see, Christ is, gives us that power to overcome. Examine your relationship to the church. Are you committed to it as Jesus is? Are you fully involved in the life of your church are you and your family reaping the benefits that comes as a result of being committed to the church of God? Each other. There are many forces that Satan uses to drive us away. And I would like for us to read this scripture that's coming up. Let's read it together in unison. Can we do that? And do this. 
understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deed of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, look deep within your heart. Is Jesus in you? Or do you just acknowledge him as you live the way you desire? If you try to live for him the way he wants you to live, then Jesus is in you. Ephesians 5.15 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. And then a good inventory shows how much needs to be reordered or replenished. It reveals what I need personally and what I need to do. So as we head into 2023, make sure that Jesus is firmly planted in your heart so he goes with you, covering you in God's wonderful grace and blessings. And then choose to leave those things that distract you from realizing Jesus to the fullest extent. Imagine a trapeze artist and they're up there swinging on the swing. They must let go of the one swing in order to catch the other one. But if they refuse to do that, they'll just keep swinging, hanging. The same way we must let go of the old year before we can go purposely into the new year. As you let go of the past, Paul gives us this advice. He said, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Commit yourself to forget your failures. Satan has a rewind button. And he loves to rewind it and to remind you over and over again, you failed, you failed, you failed. But the advice from God's word has stood the test of time. I don't know of any more relevant or practical advice for us as we begin 2023. God is here, so you don't have to live your life imprisoned by the past. And then grab hold of the future. How do you think you're going to fare out in this new year? Will it actually be a year of new beginning for us? Will we have the wherewithal to analyze ourselves honestly so we will know what areas to leave behind and what things to bring with us? We need to be very wise as we step through the doorway of time. If we're going to make the best of the future, we need to understand a few things. First thing we really need to get a grip on is that when we receive Christ's forgiveness, 
It allows us to forgive ourselves and to forget our failures because he removes those sins, never to be remembered against us anymore, but he removes them as far as the east is from the west. He didn't say from the north to the south because you can go so far north and you're heading south again, but if you're in an eastwardly direction, you're always going in an eastwardly direction. Commit yourselves to give up your grudges. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have grievances against someone, forgive as the Lord gives you. What is a grudge anyway? A grudge is a deep, ongoing resentment that we cultivate in our hearts against someone else. And a grudge is an unforgiving spirit that leads to unforgiving attitudes and unforgiving actions. And to me, a grudge is like a prison cell. Commit yourself to restore your relationships. It says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, there are some people you couldn't even live on the same street with, right? And you'll cross the street without having to confront them. There are people like that in this world. But if possible, as far as it depends on you, it's my responsibility Live at peace with everyone. Commit yourself to turn back on your transgressions. The New Testament says that it's exactly how many Christians choose to live. Christ died to set them free. The Holy Spirit has given them the power to be free, just like the former slaves. But they still choose to go back and allow that to enslave them. Turn your back on that. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to lustful desires. We are no longer slaves to sin. That's the last challenge that I believe if, if we will rise to meet will make the new year truly significant for you, for me. When God says, do not let sin control the way you live, do not give in to lustful desires, He's issuing a challenge for us to turn your back on the transgressions. And I have a challenge for you. I would like to challenge you in the coming week to read the book, the gospel, or the, the book of James. It's a short book. I'd like you to read a chapter, and then I would like you to be still, and I would like you to just listen. 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 It might be... Ten hours of listening, or an hour of listening. But taking that time, I find the greatest thing in the world is to set a time aside every day. It might be in the morning, it might be in the evening, but take that time to reflect, to study the Word of God, to read it, but more than that, to listen to what God says. My mother always used to say, um, a still tongue, a wise head. In other words, listen. And then she'd tell me, your tongue is hinged in the middle. What's she saying? I don't listen enough. But when we listen, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit takes this living word of God and translates it to our hearts. And sometimes when I listen, when I'm listening, I'm I learn something, but I'm usually convicted about different things and different situations I'm facing. He'll give us the idea. But it's a wonderful habit. And you know that it's, 
a proven fact that if you do something for 28 days straight, it will become a lifelong habit. So isn't this a wonderful way to start this new year? To set aside, if you start with 10 minutes of reading the scripture and and 10 minutes of just reflecting and letting God speak to you through that scripture. And you'll find that life will take on a whole new understanding of the will of God for your life. So that's my challenge for you in the new year. Trusting God. Knowing that he has a purpose and a plan for you already. There was one, he was the father of literacy and, and he his prayer every morning was, Lord, what are you up to today that I can help you with? Before he put his feet on the floor, he knew that God was already working in his life and had something specific for today. Doesn't that make your day and your tomorrows feel much more important and adventuresome? You think, ah, oh, another day. You know, you meet with people that um, all they can see is the problems of the day. And they usurp the blessings of the day. And if we can start looking for what God is doing and blessing and, and give him thanks for that and listen to him as we read the word of God with the intention of hearing from him, you will find that the stock taking in your life will be very purposeful and meaningful for you. If the worship team would come at this time, please. We're going to sing, uh, No Longer a Slave to Sin, I'm a Child of God. And we'll sing that as a testimony and, and with the conviction of our heart that I'm not a slave. And, and if you feel like during this song, if you'd just like to come and, and lay your heart before God this morning, we would love to pray with you today. Um, because we're concerned. We want, we want you to live in victory. We want you to live with a sense of purpose and knowing that God loves you more than you love yourself and that he has a purpose for today for you.